he says. He says, uh, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove their oar in or patronize me or show off? The point is that every person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. And that's a convicting phrase there. Uh, when you look at the Bible and think about what is the solution to pride, this thing that we all deal with so much, uh, the solution is not to think more about it. I need to think about pride more. The solution is not even to think more about humility. Uh, the solution is not to consider yourself a worse person. You know, woe is me, I'm so terrible, I'm so prideful all the time. The solution scripturally is actually to get outside of yourself, to think of yourself less. Because you can be prideful as a depressive person, and you can be prideful as a I'm so great, look at me kind of person. It's really all the same thing. If you're focusing on yourself, you're a prideful person. The solution is to think outside of yourself. Now, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Greg noted in Matthew, this is the way he put it, uh, Matthew in this sermon series, he's He's trying to get across the point that as Jesus' disciples were called to live out kingdom righteousness. Jesus is king, and we're called to live out kingdom righteousness. Another way to put this is that those who have been transformed by Jesus are called to live like Jesus. This is what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount. He's teaching us how to live like him. Now, obviously, this is incompatible with pride and prideful hearts. And so in this section of the Sermon of the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at poor, four pride-fighting initiatives. These are virtues or ways of living that Jesus gives to us to help us think of ourselves less. Because, if it's, of course, it's easy for me to say, think of ourselves less. It's much harder to actually figure out how to do that in daily life. And I think this section helps us to do this. Um, now, this passage, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12, is really made up of four sections. It could be preached in four different messages. So I'm going to try to put a, bring a unity to it today. And uh, <clears throat> if you view it as kind of four mes messages, then that's not really a bad thing either. So, uh, but we're going to read it first. So if you have your Bible, um, this is not going to be on the screen. Please turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you, not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First, Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The second sec section here. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your, their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we have 12 verses here, and we're going to see four different ways that we can fright pride through these areas. Now, the first one, and this might seem confusing at first, but bear with me. Exhort others second. Exhort others second. Now, look here in verses 1 and 2 on the screen. Jesus says here, this is, you know, Pastor Aaron told me the other day that uh, he read that this might be the most well-known passage of Scripture now, even more well-known than uh, John 3.16. You hear it all over. Judge not that you not be judged. Why not? Well, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus is clear here in the beginning that judging others invites judgment. So if you judge others, you're inviting yourself to be judged. And we could think of this in two different ways, I think. First, you have judgment from God. Um, Now, as Christians, those who are changed by Christ, I think we have to recognize that If we're changed by the gospel, we should view judgment differently. Because we as Christians recognized, I should have been judged for my sin. But Christ took all that judgment upon himself. And therefore, me, the person who deserved judgment, is free from judgment because Christ took it on himself. That's fundamental to being a Christian, realizing that Christ took that judgment for him. But those who have never recognized their need for Christ, who have never recognized their uh, heading to judgment, receive it. If we don't turn from ourselves to Christ, we will be judged. And so I think we can see that here in this verse. From God's perspective, we will be judged if we don't turn from ourselves to Christ. We also can see here that uh, I think you invite judgment from others if you're a judgment fool kind of person, full of judgment, right? Um, I think you kind of see this. If you go in your Bibles down to verse 12, the last verse we read, he says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So the idea here is if you want judgment, then judge people. You'll get plenty of it. And I think we are very aware of that in our culture. There's no lack of judgment or critical spirits in our culture. It's It's everywhere. Um, and this makes sense, right? If you are, if this is you, if you are always oriented towards other people with a prideful and critical spirit, that's just your status quo. What do you, what do you expect from other people? That seems to be what he's saying here. You're going to receive that same kind of critical judgment spirit from other people. If you're oriented more towards being critical than being encouraging in your life, then what do you expect in, in return, and how do you expect others to perceive you well? I think that's just a principle of wisdom, and I think he communicates it clearly here, but then he moves on really to talk about hypocritical judgment. That's really what he's getting at here, judging while being a hypocrite. So he says in verse 3, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? So he's teaching particularly against hypocritical judgment. As a, I was reminded of this of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor during Nazi Germany, and uh, he defied Hitler and was put to death for it. 
And uh, he wrote a book called Life Together. And in this book, he talks about the disciples. If you remember the disciples, they're arguing amongst each other uh, who's going to be greatest in heaven, right? And we think about that. How are the disciples arguing about that, you know? Uh, But he points out through that passage that whenever one human being gets together with another human being, we immediately start comparing each other and believing ourselves superior to that person. That's just what's naturally in our hearts. And Jesus is getting that at here. Why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your eye? I think it's true that we naturally underestimate our faults and overestimate the faults of others. We underestimate our faults, overestimate the faults of others. Now, notice here that the comparison Jesus gives here is not equal. It's not like there's one person who has a speck in their eye who's pointing out another person with a speck in their eye. That's not what's happening. A person with a log, a big problem, is trying to point out a smaller problem in the other person. So obviously this person with the log in their eye has bad judgment and is deceived. Now, when you're thinking about this subject, and I was just wrestling through this subject, uh, you know, just in preaching it, you know, Lord, help me not to be a hypocrite even in preaching this passage. Um, But I think we have to consider and admit the reality that the logged person might be me. And if your first thought is of some other critical, hypocritical person when you read this passage, it might be you who has the log. I think just that's just one way to get outside of ourselves. Lord, this might be me. Lord, help me uh, not to be this person who... Uh, is deceived by the log in my eye. Jesus goes on kind of to make a similar but different point in verse 4. This is what he says. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. And I think what he's pointing out here is that a hypocritical person, someone who is a hypocrite who's judging, uh, is really a bad judge. They're an incapable judge. Uh, This person uh, does not only, you know, you can notice things in other people. That's one thing. But actually saying something is something different. (laughs) You know, we notice a lot of things we don't speak of. This person doesn't only notice the speck, but is willing to speak up and try to remove it in the other person, which takes a little bit more pride, right, to speak up and say something about it, or maybe it depends on your personality. And the thing about this is that this, this really can appear righteous, and you can really deceive yourself. You know, I'm just trying to help that person grow. That's why I'm pointing this back out. I'm just trying to help them. I'm just trying to point something out that they don't see. I'm just trying to help. And this is a false humility. It describes a person with a critical rather than a humble spirit. And I think Jesus' point here is that a person with a log in their eye actually can't help the person with a speck in their eye. They're incapable. Now, even though, and this is the wild thing, the person who is judging hypocritically is actually correct. They see the speck in the eye, and the speck's actually there. Um, but the thing about it is that it's with, with the Christian life and with helping other people, it's not about being able to be correct. It's, it's about being able to actually help that person. And I think what Jesus is saying is that 
you can't help this person with the log in your eye. You can't see clearly to take it out. And he's going to say that here in the next verse. Uh, He says, hypocrite, strong language, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, this is the part people who usually say, judge not that you not be judged, ignore. Because notice what Jesus actually says here is that the humble person still critiques the other person. They don't ignore the speck. Jesus commands us to still be concerned about that speck. And you can think about this. I mean, it's not good to have a speck in your eye. Have you ever had one of those little, you know, any little bit of dirt or anything in your eye is a massive pain. And uh, you really feel like you have to get it out before you can go on living uh, normally in life. Um, I think we've all experienced that. And this is because sin that's unaddressed in our lives is always going to bring pain, even if it's a small amount of sin. Any kind of sin that's unaddressed is going to bring pain. But the thing about the Christian, the humble person, is that the Christian is prioritizing his own spiritual health before he's willing to critique the other person. Now, notice here that the Christian is not just acknowledging the log. Maybe we've done this before. Okay, I admit it. I have a log in my eye. Now you need to take that speck out. (laughs) That's not what's happening here. Notice that the Christian, the healthy person, the kingdom living person, is actually not just admitting the existence of the log, but removing it. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And maybe this, hopefully this, helps you to understand the point a little better that I said in the beginning A person who wants to fight pride exhorts other people second because he's exhorting himself first. He's removing the plank from his eye first. I think prioritizing our own spiritual health as Christians, my own spiritual health, your own spiritual health, um, enables us to best help others because logs and specks are both bad and we need them out of our eyes. We need to follow Christ. And so I think this begins just practically with acknowledging, like I said before, the potential and the likelihood of logs and specks in our eyes. We probably all have them at some level. I think as Christians, we have to be as introspective and self-aware as we can, but not just self-aware, but willing to move forward and grow like Christ. And we have to be introspective in close community. The implication of this verse is that if you have a speck in your eye, it's probably going to stay there unless another Christian helps you to get it out. That's the implication here. You're not going to be able to get that speck. I know you can go in front of the mirror and usually get the speck yourself and if it's an actual speck of dirt, right? When it comes to sin and the things that are plaguing your heart, uh, you're not going to be able to do it apart from Christian community. So uh, this is the first one. Exhort others second. Uh, be willing to prioritize your own spiritual health before being a critiquer of others. We have to be people, I think, who are known um, much more for being self-aware and honest about our own faults and people of encouragement than we are people of critique. And that's not a common thing in our culture. Uh, Number two, uh, this is an interesting one, steward truth wisely. If you want to be a person who's fighting pride, we have to steward truth wisely. Jesus interestingly says here, 
in verse 6. It's really a jarring verse. It's like what, it seems out of place. I don't know if you feel that, but he's talking about specks and logs and critiquing. And then verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to, in pieces. So Jesus says, be careful with whatever this holiness and pearls are so that you're not attacked. Now, I don't think he's talking here about your physical stuff. I think that would be a bad way to apply this passage. So uh, you might try to apply this passage and say, I'm never going to give money to a homeless person. I don't think that's the way to apply this. Um, I think what he's more likely talking about is how do you as a Christian, someone who's living in the kingdom, use wisdom or truth? Now, if we're going to read this in context, he might especially be talking about uh, how do you use the critique he just talked about in the previous section? So the healthy Christian, once he has the log removed from his eye, critiques the unhealthy person. How should you use that critique in a wise way? I think that might be what he's talking about. So when he says, do not give what is holy to the dogs or do not give your pearls to swine, he's talking about do not give your you know, the spiritual wisdom, the good news, uh, the, the godly critique to people who aren't going to receive it. And this fits kind of, uh, look here at Proverbs 9, 7 through 8. There's a couple of verses like this in Proverbs, but uh, Solomon says here, whoever corrects a, a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reproving a wise man, uh, reprove a wise man and he will love you. So a fool rejects critique, a wise man embraces critique. Um, think about Jesus. He does this in the uh, New Testament when he's in front of the Pharisees and in front of, the, of, of uh, Pilate. He's silent for a good bit of the time. And it might be because of this very truth. He's willing to be, uh, he's not going to throw what is holy before the dogs and his pearls before swine. Now we have to think about this passage, I think, in terms of the New Testament context of what we're called to do as Christians. I mean, if we're transformed by Jesus, by the gospel, then we are called to freely, liberally share the fruit of the gospel with others. And uh, I think we have to step back and admit that this is a super convenient verse when there's someone with, with, with whom we should tr share truth with and we don't want to. This is a convenient verse because it's really easy to justify. Well, you know, you might feel like I might feel like I need to share that, but I'm not going to because they're kind of like the dog <laughs> or the pig. Um, it's really easy to label someone a dog or a pig. And I don't think we would ever say that person's a dog or a pig, but we would choose in the way that we live not to share truth with them because we justify it in our minds. And I think that's the wrong way to approach this uh, verse. I think the principle in the previous section applies here. We have to take the log out first. And if you're treating someone like a dog or like a pig without, uh, you know, wisely considering it, you might, again, have a log laid in the eye. Um, <clears throat> I don't think this excuses our responsibility to share truth. The way that I've been thinking about this as I've uh, been preparing is that I think a wise person applies this principle after experience rather than before experience. So we share the truth of the gospel 
with everyone. But if someone through experience repeatedly uh, rejects it and turns away and uh, is, proves themselves to be a fool, then we might need to step back from that critique. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. We still have to be wise about how we share truth with fools. Now, another thing I think we have to consider when you look at this is that um, the implication of this is that we as people can be so hard-hearted that it's better that others don't share truth with us. That's a sobering truth to think through. I or you could be so hard-hearted that it's better if someone doesn't actually share the truth because I'm a fool. And what that person needs desperately is the truth. But if I'm that kind of person, I might just attack the person rather than receiving the truth that I need. And I think, again, this should move us to turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, soften my heart in areas that I might not know are hard. And help me not to be the person who would just reject truth. Help me not to be the fool, as is talked about in Proverbs. Um, notice again here, I think the response that this calls us to is not a selfish response, but a turning to God response, outside of myself, to God. And that really is what Jesus gets at in the next point. He moves on in verses 7 through 11. And I think the lesson here is to depend proactively on God. So in the first two sections, uh, we're treating judgment properly and truth properly, which is really others-focused, how to live in relationships. Here he focuses on the Christian's relationship with God. In verses 7 and 8, this is what he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. I think when you see these first two verses, the thing that clearly sticks out is that the follower of Jesus proactively pursues God's for their need, God for their needs. The follower of Jesus is willing to ask. He's willing to seek. He's willing to knock. He's not just going to wait around hoping that good things come to him. He's going to actively pursue God in the channels that God has given him. That's what the follower of Jesus is going to do. This is not a uh, passive and lazy orientation to life, but it refers to an active, intentional pursuit. Ask, seek, knock. It's easy to live life in ways where we just hope the good is going to bump into us. You know, I hope that I accidentally uh, receive the good from God. But this section is showing that that's not really true. Good in our Christian life doesn't just happen by accident, but we have to actively pursue God for good. And he gives an illustration here to prove this point. In verses 9 and 10, he basically says that you, person, me, you, we, under, we understand how to meet needs. He says, or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Now, Jesus uses two things here as illustrations that we all understand very well, I think. First, he uses food as his illustration. And I think we can easily understand that because we all understand that we need food and we understand what happens if we 
don't have it. Food is a real need, so it's easy to get his point. He also uses family as an example. I mean, if you're a father, you understand this. You know, what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And even if you're not a father, I think we can easily grasp that if our family or the ones that we love are in need, we understand and are going to do what we can to meet the needs of the ones we love. That's an illustration that makes sense. If I have people that I love and they're in need, I'm going to help them because I love them. And Jesus moves on here and he says, if you then being evil, talking to us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The thing about God is he understands more about our needs and more about what we really need, you know, inside more than we ever could. And he loves us more than we could ever love anybody else. And he has the power to actually do something about it. He, he understands who we are and what we need more than we can imagine, loves us more than we can imagine, and has the power to actually do something about it. He's much better at this than we are. And here's the problem. I think we seek these things that we need in self-sufficient ways. We don't actually turn to God for the good things that we need in our daily life. We do sometimes. I'm not saying we never do it. But in general, it's easy to just go about the things of life in ways that are actually trusting in yourself because maybe you have experience, you've done it before, or maybe you think this is the most efficient. I'm going to do it this way. Any time that we try to pursue something apart from explicitly including God, we're actually depending on ourselves rather than him. And I think this is why this section is so impactful, that the, pr- the proud person depends on himself. The Christian who is humble actively, proactively pursues God for his needs, for what is good. Now, of course, differentiating your needs and desires isn't very simple. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I don't think these verses are a blanket endorsement for you to define what is good. So I think good is a brand new house and a Lamborghini. I don't think that's properly interpreting these verses. Um, One of my friends always said, and I appreciate it, he says, God always gives us what we ask for or something better. Um, God is always going to give us what is best for us. And this is rooted in the gospel. If you just think about the gospel, the person who has been changed by the gospel has given up self-sufficiency and pride because that person realizes their need for Christ. And it's Christ or God as the giver of good gifts. God is the one who has given us good gifts, and he's given us the best gift in Christ. He's given us that gift for free. And, well, not for free. Christ suffered for it. But he has given us Christ The Christian realizes that we're naturally pushed to trust in ourselves rather than God, but God is the giver of good gifts who gave us Christ and continues to give us good gifts in him. And this is hard in real life. This takes faith. 
This really takes faith. Um, I think as Christians, we have to grow to believe the character of God, that he's actually good. Uh, we have to grow to know and to trust the promises that we receive in the Bible. We have to think about how God has been good to us in the past and believe that he's going to continue to be good uh, in the future. And I just got to admit to you, I, this is a hard one for me. And it's been so hard for me because my family in particular has gone through a lot of suffering. Lots of suffering. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but suffering tempts me to believe that God is always going to do things through the hardest way possible. And that it's, it's hard to believe that that's good. And I struggle with this. Uh, that's why I say it's a faith issue. <laughs> this is really a faith thing. I mean, it seems like a simple passage. Just ask, seek, and knock, and God will give you good gifts. But I think, you know, if you're like me, you're tempted all the time to believe that uh, he's just going to bring the hard stuff, the stuff that you're scared of, the stuff that terrifies you. Uh, but when you look at Scripture, God is never just wielding suffering like that. God is actually someone who's truthfully doing the best possible thing in your life. And that takes faith. Uh, this is a section, I think, that just takes incredible faith. And we have to grow to trust and just pray that he would help us to trust him. Uh, we have to trust that he's actually oriented towards us uh, with goodness in the same way that he was and is with Christ and giving us Christ. Um, this just reminds me, you know, we're saved by depending on God and we live the Christian life by depending on God. Same process. <clears throat> so the humble person, if you want to fight pride, learn to depend proactively on God. Pursue God with all of your heart. He wants your heart. He wants a, a close personal relationship with him. He doesn't want you to just get out your Bible plan. This is my temptation too. You, get, you know, I'm going to do a read through the Bible this year. This is going to be great. I'm going to check the boxes every day. I'm going to read through the whole Bible and I read, read, read and have no communion with God. That is not what he's after. He is after your heart. He is not after repetitious Christian living. He's after your heart. And sometimes you have to have the repetition to get to the heart. So don't give up the repetition. But God is after your heart. Uh, he's after a, a close personal relationship with you. Uh, please depend and pursue him proactively through his word, uh, through prayer, through the church. Uh, lastly here, <clears throat> uh, we have to love others honestly. Uh, Jesus says here in verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we have the golden rule here. Um, therefore, you see the word it starts, therefore, is kind of a summarizing statement. So he might really be summarizing a, a lot of what he's just talked about. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't connect quite as well with the previous section, praying to God, uh, but it connects better with judge not lest you be judged and don't throw your pearls before swine. Uh, but anyway, I know that honestly might seem to be a weird way to put this, love others honestly. Uh, 
But let me try to explain what I'm getting at here. Uh, I think when we look at this verse, we have to sit down and think and be honest with ourselves about we, how we as human beings really want to be treated by other human beings. And that takes some work. How do I really, and I'm not talking about selfish ways of approaching this question, but how do I as a human being really want to be treated by other human beings? Think about that question. And I think if we're also honest with ourselves, we all want to be treated as people who have inherent value. Even you know, despite all of our flaws. All, all of us have flaws, and we've all made mistakes, and some of them have been more than others. Um, but I think we want to be seen as people who are valuable. And, <clears throat> of course, when Jesus says here, for this is the law and the prophets, uh, he is referring to love. Um, in Galatians, he talks about how uh, loving your neighbor as yourself summarizes the whole, the law and the prophets, or loving God and loving neighbor. And I think what he's getting at, if, and if we're really honest with ourselves, that every single human being on this earth deserves to be treated as someone who has inherent value. Every single being, human being on this earth. It doesn't matter how much they've sinned, it doesn't matter uh, if they're a horrible person, if they have special needs. Every single human being deserves to be treated as someone who has value because they're made in the image of God. Because God has given them that value because they're reflecting God himself. And I think that's really at the core of what Jesus is getting at here. And I think if we really take time to ponder and think about uh, and get outside of ourselves and think, you know, how can I show that this person, that person, or how can I treat them in a way that actually reflects their God-given value, that's what it means to love others honestly. Because, look, people are rough. We are rough. <laughs> you know, I am rough in my own way. Um, but myself and you and every person are part of the group of people that Christ died on the cross for, and he is welcoming all of us to turn to him. And this is how Christ treated us, right? Christ was oriented towards us with love, even at great personal cost to himself, and is desiring that we return and, and, and or worship him as lo in love as well. That's rooted in the gospel, this idea. All of, all of these principles are, this is how Christ treated us. So kind of just to wrap it all up, <clears throat> I think what God is calling us to do today and he's calling me to do is just to look outside of ourselves to Christ. I mean, I was just trying to fall asleep last night and when you're a preacher, you know, these things don't leave your mind, <laughs> you know. There's no, like, you know, if, you're, if you stopped work on Friday, it doesn't mean the sermon just leaves your mind till Sunday. Um, there's really no taking breaks as a preacher in one sense. Um, and I'm just sitting there, Lord, you know, have I just prepped this sermon in my own strength? It's a real question to ask. And uh, 
it reminded me, you know, it's not always about like the quantity of your trust or the quality of your trust. It's about the fact, have I turned to Christ? Am I not thinking about myself? Am I thinking about Jesus? Which is where I had to go last night um, <clears throat> in my own heart, <clears throat> and it helped. Um, let me read you. This is what C.S. Lewis says about this point. Uh, in the same chapter about pride, after all those quotes I read you at the beginning, this is what he says. It's such a wonderful quote. He says, he wants you to know him, wants to give you himself. And he and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will, in fact, be humble, delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief of having once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and ha unhappy all your life. Being so caught up with ourselves leads to unhappy lives. We have to turn to Christ. Uh, please turn to Christ. Uh, it's, it's the essence of becoming a Christian and the essence of continuing as a Christian, just getting outside of yourself. Um, I think this passage shows us how judgment, how sharing truth, how love and dependence of God can help us to turn from prideful trust in ourselves to trust in Christ, to be others-oriented. And uh, just to put some practical feet on it, um, if you really just consider what's happening in this passage, uh, the first two and the last one are focused on relationships with others. The third one is on dependence on God. If you put all of that together, a scriptural truth that's summarized there is the fact that God wants you and me to pursue Christ in community with other Christians. We can't be healthy Christians apart from relationships with other believers. It's impossible. We can't be healthy Christians if our only involvement in church is attending on Sunday morning. We have to be connected, not to programs necessarily, don't, don't hear me wrong here, we have to be connected to other Christians to grow in our faith. That, that's a non-negotiable in the New Testament. And this, this passage here kind of gets at that a bit. Um, but uh, I think Christ just wants us to continue to walk the journey of giving up ourselves and giving up, as he says here, the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life, and turn to Jesus. So uh, I just hope that you turn to Jesus today. Um, let's pray. If anyone wants uh, just to pray more or to talk after, please come up uh, to the front. I think we're going to sing a song after. But um, Lord, I just thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that it would be rooted in our hearts, and I pray that your spirit would move and, and just apply it to our hearts in a way that we could never apply ourselves, Lord. I pray that we would be changed, that we would love you, and that we would love others, um, and that we would just uh, think of ourselves less, Lord. For those in the room who are tempted to be down on themselves and discouraged and to be prideful that way, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to turn from their themselves to you, Lord. Uh, for those in the room who are tempted to be more outwardly and visibly prideful, Lord, I just pray the same for them, that you would uh, turn them from themselves to you and to others, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you would move here, move in, during the week as we go about our responsibilities, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.